Abba Yahweh, this day, your day that you've created, you've walked, you know what comes before. You are with me. You are with me always. Truth, knowledge, and wisdom that you share and impart. And give me the opportunity to share this to whomever will listen and hear the words, but listen and seek your truth. Hear the speaking and listen to the truth. So I share with you pretty often, actually, um, confirmation word. And confirmation is just really, it's so awesome because it's a, um, it's not the way I look for it um, to say, yeah, yeah, I'm right. See, I told you so. It isn't like that at all. When you, I mean, there's some that use confirmation that way. But when I speak of confirmation, I'm just, I'm speaking of it in the way that, that um, we are the body of Christ, are truly believing and following. And what he does is he takes his word and shows us that we are together in what he is saying. And at my uh, at the life group that I go to, God's life group, sorry, Father, at the life group that I am privileged to partake in, um, it's very often, it's very awesome. And it's on Thursday night, so we come together. It's a prayer group. We we uh, we share a meal together in community. Uh, we commune together, but we praise and worship God, and then. Uh, as was happened last night, we had a sharing. And the sharing was so great because it's something that I've shared with you before and talking about uh, strongholds. And the strongholds are not, uh, they're not a physical fortress by any means. But they can be made and they can imprison us. They can be fortified and and Satan loves to get us to put these foundation stones in and when his minions come and and they come and they pour the white noise on there but the thing that we were discussing and what um, Diana was sharing was is this great and it comes in a lot of different guises for somebody and it might be something but in the illustration that she was sharing is you have uh, fear um, is your performance adequate? Uh, do you have enough control over something that's going on in the midst of uh, <clears throat> and uh, busyness? I've shared this one with you before. And then, it, no, it's not a misspeaking of business. It's busyness. Do you need to be busy doing something all the time that you have no quiet time with God you don't take time to sit down and talk with God, commune with him and visit. Are you too involved in busyness? And there are individuals, and I, I know of a couple of them, not at the church that I attend to, but, um, and they work for the church, but they're constantly having to be busy doing something. They take no downtime. And then 
sadly, then they complain about not having any time. Well, here's the thing. God gave it to us. And if you don't take the time, it seems to many that there won't be the time. And there's nothing wrong with taking some downtime to spend time in prayer and communion with God, your heavenly father who created you anyway. And Satan loves it when individuals get to feeling guilty about doing that. And there are those that will. They they have to be busy doing something. And if they're not in busyness, then they feel guilty for not. And so they'll go and find something to do. See, Satan loves that. Satan loves to distract us from taking that time to spend praying, meditating, worshiping, and and just having private time with God, which is what God desires for us to do and have. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up like wings as eagles shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and never faint. And that was a song that it was made into when I was younger and all that, but then the last verse I sort of uh, rewrote a little bit, and I say, teach me, Lord. Teach me, Lord, to wait. Stop making yourself, and here's the thing, I've shared this, maybe I've shared it with you all before, but I've shared it with other people, but in my heritage, in my native culture, there's an old adage, I don't remember it in my in my people's tongue. Doesn't matter, because it's the same. You can only feel guilty if you allow yourself to feel guilty. And you can only feel embarrassed if you allow yourself to feel embarrassed. These are two things that no one else can put on you and they can make you do anything. So let me ask you that when I hear people say, oh, you made me so embarrassed. Really? Did they grab your arm and twist it as hard as they could behind your back and stick your face in a muddy dirt and and make you embarrassed? Or did they take these things that were uh, possibly marginally truth and stuff them down your throat and make you swallow that. And then you turn around, you confess to something that, you know, and there's really no reason to be guilty because you didn't do anything that would warrant being guilty of anything. And so Satan, and I say that to say this because this is what Satan loves to do. When you take the time to be with God He puts these feelings in there and then these people that are too caught up in busyness and comparing, am I doing it the right way? Did I do it right? Uh, Am I doing it as good as so-and-so and and such and such? And, and, uh, you know, goodness gracious, uh, did I do it right? And there's comparison and, and that is part of this foundational brick that we, in turn, when we do things like that, we hand them to that little minion troll that works for Satan that is building this wall. And that's what it is for. These are foundational bricks. And where's this little twerp building this wall? Building it around our heart. 
And when we get so caught up in building this wall around our heart, we then are not able to, uh, or we, we're not letting God into where he should be and the uh, actions of Jesus in. So when we're busy caught up in these other things, we're not acting very compassionate. We're not acting very kind. We're not acting loving. Uh, we're so, and those stones, those foundational stones that are building that wall But we allow God to come in where he's supposed to be, and we allow the Holy Spirit to dwell in when we take time, we set aside time, we meditate in time, we take time to pray, we take time to worship, we take time to read the word of God, and we take time to be with God. Nothing to feel guilty about. And let me, I'm going to share this with you. And, you know, and, and here's the bottom line of this. And you've heard me say this term, and it's not trying to be confrontational and mean or, or anything like that. But whether you believe or not, I don't care. I, well, I do care. I care in my heart, but I don't care to be confrontational about it because what I share with you is truth, period. And in truth, I don't need to try to shove it down your throat. But you notice that when people lie, about things or they lie to someone, they're really working hard at trying to get the person to believe what they're saying and they're pushing it, pushing it, pushing it. I share the truth with you and if you choose not to believe it, that's okay. I don't care enough to be upset and agitated about it. Truth is truth and it comes from God. And hopefully that clarified enough for some. Some it will not and that's okay because I don't care about that either. I, I don't the The point is that it's not caring enough to be confrontational, be argumentative, and be disruptive. See, that's the sort of thing that Satan likes to be. And the Holy Spirit grabbed me last night because someone said something to me, and it, and it was uh, it's actually a key. Uh, um, what's that term? I forgot what I call it. Oh, button phrase. And um, this. The button phrase can be, and and everyone has them actually. They're different for everyone, but my uh, button phrase is when somebody comes and they're they're very accusatory at something, and they they act like they're all rattled about something that um, isn't happening or isn't so, and very exaggerated. But the thing of it is, that's their perception. So what you have to be as a good Christian brother or sister is that you have to be able to empathize with them because I'm certain that somebody used a, has had a button phrase that uh, you may have used and, you know, the roles are reversed. So you have to be compassionate. That's, that's empathy, okay? Empathy is not when somebody says, oh, I know exactly how you feel. Oh, I know what you're going through. Well, my question that rolls around quickly in my mind is, do you? You're not in the situation that I'm in. You've not been in the situation I'm in. And I've worked around you for all these years. And for you to represent a phrase like that, say, oh, I know exactly what you're going through. I know exactly what you're feeling. No, you don't. Be Watch the words that we share with people because you, you're not knowing. But see, this is what this is what 
the purpose. Jesus walked this earth and he was able to empathize with everyone because he indeed does know. And he he did know because he walked here. And he does know because he's our good, good Lord, King, and with God, our creator. <coughs> Pardon me. Anyway, the point that I'm going to is that the Holy Spirit grabs on and got if you if you lean in, if you pray for that to be the case, to to keep that, because that would have allowed one of those little foundational stones to be laid down there. And this is what the minions do, and what Satan loves to do, and what this wall does is it separates our Heavenly Father's Spirit from where it's supposed to be. The indwelling Spirit that is supposed to be in us so that we show out what we have within. So what are you showing out? Are you showing out this uh, agitation, bitterness, frustration, the busyness, the comparison, the regret, the remorse, which leads to treating others the way you normally would. Uh, oh, how about this big one? This, this, is, this is a massive one, and I've shared this with you, and I've shared it with you often. Fearfulness. Being fearful. God knows that we're afraid of things, and he tries to encourage us. Be not afraid. Don't be discouraged. Don't be dismayed. I'm with you. Make sure you have on your armor. I'm with you. It's okay. It will be okay because in your weakness, I'm strong and we're going to pull you right through this thing. And it's as I've shared with you before, I've tried to illustrate, verbally illustrate to you is when you're walking through a storm or you're walking through something with God and you keep walking with him because he's got... He's got his heavenly umbrella over you, so you're not going to get so. And even if it tears or leaks, or so what? You're with God. You get a little damp, big deal. As soon as you walk through and you get to the other side, it's like a big heat dryer is on you, and you're you're dried up. Maybe your hair's a little fluffier than it should be, but who cares? You're with God. But once you stop and you pull out of his strong hand and you, you pull away and then you hunker down, you're just going to sit there and get soaked and all that stuff is going to come crashing down around you. You're going to get pelted with the hail. You're going to get smacked upside the head with the wind and all these things are going to happen, but you keep walking. And then when you look back over your shoulder and everything's bright and you hear the bluebirds of happiness twirling around and, and whistling zippity-doo-dah in their, in their little bird beaks and you hear all this music on it and then you look back over your shoulder and you see the storm that you just came through and it's way down there just like it was when the prophet was talking to his protege and they were on top of Mount Carmel and he said, look out. And he saw the cloud was the size of a man's hand. Well, that storm will retreat that same way. In that instance, he was calling the rain and, and coming to him. But when you walk through the storm with God and you're holding onto his hand and just keep walking and moving with him and pressing forward, when you look back, that storm 
is the size of a man's hand way off in the distance, almost at the horizon. And you're not even certain, and you're, you're thinking, wow, that happened. Where, wow, that happened quick. We're already here. Yes, you're already here. Just keep walking keep moving. Quit fantasizing about all the stuff that's going to go wrong and things that's going to, and you're getting wet and it's windy and you're cold. So God's with you. Keep on going. He's not going to leave you nor desert you and forsake you out there in the midst of all this. He's with you always. So fearfulness is the downfall of believers. Fearfulness, and I and you witness, and I hate to even almost bring it up, but if you look back a couple years and you see when all these lies and this stuff is being perpetrated, and then of course there's going to be those who are going to get their knickers all twisted up and going, well, but this happened, that happened, that happened, this happened. Well, yeah, but if you did research and you found out that there were people lying about numbers, people lying about certain things that were going on, and things were manipulated and made them appear to be what they are not, which is what Satan is really good at doing, manipulating things to make it appear to be something that it's not. What do they call that? I shared it with you. Facade. False front, fake. Hollywood does, they do things that are on uh, on site, but the sets that they build, they when they're not on location filming and they build sets that are, they're a facade, they're fake, they're not even real. And when they get done with the movie that they're filming, they take it down and they make it something else. And sometimes they have one facade that is a sturdy framework and then within they can make all these different rooms that appear to be one way and then they go and they change it and they move a wall and they change and it becomes something else. Satan is very adept at doing this. This is part of that interference thing that he does. But the enemy is very good at it. He is a tactile, a very tactile general. I've shared that with you and it's truth. And if you don't want to hear how good the enemy is at coming at you, then you're going to have some issues with that self-same enemy. And Jesus warns us that he is this way. Matthew 24. Who do you think Jesus is talking about in Matthew 24? And then he comes right out and he mentions Satan being like the ravenous wolf to come in and tear apart the flock, pull it apart and kill. And remember, we are told that Satan is this way. And we are told that he seeks to break in, to steal, kill and destroy. That's that's his purpose. But when we're talking about Satan killing, we're not necessarily talking about physical death. Remember this. Satan wants you to perish. There's a difference between dying and perishing. I'll try to explain this to you and clarify it. And there might be some new listeners, hearers, hear what I'm saying, go to the Bible and listen to what I'm saying, listen to the truth, and then seek his faith, seek his truth. In the Bible, you'll find it. <laughs> so Satan comes in to steal, destroy, kill. 
And when Jesus is talking about that, it, it's not a physical death. And the killing he's talking about is to get you to perish. Perishing and dying physically. Physical death is when you're walking on this plane of existence and God says, okay, time to go. And then you collapse and you are no longer going to be a part of this physical plane of existence. That's dying. Perishing is when you either go to heaven and the Lord says, okay, glad you're home. You made it through that. We saw that things were tough and, and some things were hard. And Or, unfortunately, you wouldn't believe that I came to die for you. And unfortunately, you turned your back on so many and you turned your back on the opportunity to share the truth. And then you go. So that's perishing because you are not going to be with your loved ones who would have loved for you to be with them. And God loved that you would have been with him. Our Lord loves the fact. And what you have there is you have a communion, a community, a communion. Everything that God tells us about now, you would have enjoyed that. You would have had been at the same supper table. And the thing that's really cool is I heard one of my mentors share this before is that, that you're going to eat in that time, but your eating is not because you're hungry, but you're eating because it's enjoyable. And this is a difference between supping and eating. And I've shared, I don't think I've gone into this before, but there used to be a time when you would come into a family's home and you would sup. You would sit down and sup. And I think that's where the word supper comes from. It doesn't got necessarily to do with the time of day, but that's when everything everything is slowing down or stopping completely in the end of the workday and there are no more chores. Now you're going to sit down, you're going to have a meal with loved ones, and you're going to have a talk, you're going to have a chat, you're going to visit because... Back in the day, there were no cellular telephones that children are picking up and putting in their hands now at the dinner table, for Pete's sake. When you're having supper with your family, they're too busy with their doggone electronics. And I used to be on my grandkids about this. No, 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 those don't go. You're at the dinner table. We're having supper together. Put them away. And then, of course, their uh, wannabe friend said it's okay. And I didn't know that and I chastised him and then I was told, well, said it's okay. Hmm. And then I get the look of misunderstanding because not seeing what the problem is. Well, the problem is that you're not having a relationship or talking and then the whole, I mean, the whole dynamic of, of that time just was changed. They were so busy not even talking or visiting with anybody. But back in the day, there were no cell phones. There was no, nothing happened. And um, that's just the way it was. And friends were not allowed to call or if they did call, you didn't jump up and run to the telephone. That's just what it was. Supper was a time of community communion and being together. And I like that one scripture when it says, when, when, if you knock on the door, it will be open unto you 
and the Lord will invite you in to sit down and sup with him. So you're going to come in and you're not just going to sit at the table and stuff stuff in your things in your face to, to fill a void that's in your stomach. It's you're going to have an interpersonal relationship with God while you're sitting at the table and quite possibly taking in the sustenance. But are you going to be so enthralled with the word of God that you're right before the presence of the Lord God Almighty who is sitting down with you? to commune with you and have time with you, take time with you. It's a beautiful and powerful thing. But we, in turn, have a tendency to feel guilty. We're not being busy, 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 busy. I gotta be busy. I gotta be about my business and go do something, go find something to do. Or are you about God's business, which part of, is taking that time to meditate on him, commune with him in prayer. And I I love this. I saw this. um, It's a beautiful rendition of artwork, and, and it's really cool. And the saying is that God takes time to listen to those who take time to pray. The angel also shared with... Uh, shared with John on the island of Patmos. I've shared this with you before. That he's took the time to hear the prayers and he saves the prayers of the saints in golden vials. He saves the prayers of saints in golden vials and he saves them because they are a sweet savor to his nostrils. God loves him because they're like a perfect. And I get this, I get a visual of God just sort of, uh, he undoes the top of the vial just a little bit so that the perfume comes out and it makes him smile. He loves the smell, the savor of our prayers. It's like sweet incense to God. And when we take that time with him, for him, to him. But see, these bricks and this wall that we get busy building, part of your busyness is to build these walls because you compare, you resent, you reject. Um, Am I doing it right? Am I doing it fast enough? Am I doing this? Am I doing that? Am I doing this? And through everything that I'm going through right now, which is... For me, it's pretty heavy duty, but I keep praying, but I got to let go when I pray about it. And that's the thing you have to remember is that when you pray about it and you take it to God, you got to let go of it and quit going back. This is the other thing that Satan likes to do. And this also is another stone that he likes to build up in your heart. So when you pray about it, are you still holding on to it or are you letting God have it? Because when you pray about something like this, you got to let go. But if you turn around and you hold on to it and try to figure it out instead of letting the Holy Spirit guide you in the steps and then take you in that direction that you should do these things. You're trying to figure out what you should do during it. Then you're maintaining your fearfulness and you are not doing it the way you should. And then fear starts to build up and then you become fearful 
And when you become fearful, then you react to people the way you should not. You do go into circumstances the way you should not. And it alters the way you do things. Fearfulness alters the way that you walk. Oh, yeah. So, again, God knows you're going to be afraid. He knows it. You're in a broken plane of existence. It's broken because man succumbed to the temptation of the wiles of the devil. When he appeared as a serpent, that was the fall when man succumbed to the wiles of the devil. And there are those that do all the speculation, they point the finger and they try to do all this stuff. And, and it's really pretty ridiculous, actually. But I'm, my take on this is, why did the devil go to Eve and not to Adam first? And that it was really Adam. And well, it didn't happen that way because the Bible says it did not. And I say this, is he did that to Eve first because knowing, aware of watching and paying attention that Eve was beautiful and was Adam's mate and that Adam was enamored with her. Of course he was because God made her for him. And Adam just, sometimes you see the little cartoon character and they're sort of floating, their feet aren't touching the ground. They're sort of just droopy, droopy, drooper and their eyes are all there and they're just got this little half silly smile on their face. And I kind of picture that Adam went around with Eve wherever she went and, and she was beautiful and he was with her. And so she took the fruit and he was, of course, going to believe her. He wasn't going to argue with her and goes, oh, man, can't believe you did that. Didn't God do Adam didn't do that. Eve ate the fruit and she said, look. I didn't die. And Adam's like, oh man, we're not, so, you know you're not supposed to. But she goes, but look, I didn't die. The serpent told me, and it's true, I didn't die. You try it. And as soon as Adam bit it and fell for that lie, then the Lord came and looked through the garden because. Man, I I just man, I just can't even it's I'm trying to wrap my finite thought process around this. Walking with God in the cool of the evening, that he comes down and he walks around in the garden and shares time with me. Oh man. And that's what he used to do. He used to come down in the cool of the evening and walk in the garden with Adam and Eve and talk with them, visit with them, spend time with them. But they hid. God knew. And when he spoke to Adam, it wasn't so much that he didn't know where he was. It was, was Adam going to confess his wrongdoing to his father or was he going to try to hide it still? It's kind of kind of like my earthly father. Oh my gosh, I don't know how he figured this stuff out. I thought it was pretty sneaky. But he had this uh, special drawer and there was stuff in there that 
weren't supposed to be sneaking his thing. I don't know if he put tape on the edge of the drawer so when it pulled open, that tape would break. I don't know how he did it. I don't know how he knew that I did. And I always, if I put my grubby little fingers on something and tried to move it and put it back exactly as it was, he knew that I was there. He knew that I had been in there. And he spoke specifically about that thing that I touched. In my case, growing up, they were usually the knives that he had in their pocket knives that he found and would put them in there, but he was taking care of them to give to us children anyway when we were old enough. But God is this wonderful father. He knows, he's aware, but he wants us to talk with him. He knew where Adam and Eve was. He knew they were hiding. He knew that they had partaken of the fruit. Were they going to confess and tell him the truth? Or are they going to try to hide it? Which is also what Satan tries to get you to do. To get you in the middle of a fix and he tries to get you to lie, to lie, to lie, to lie, to lie. And I've shared this with you before is that you have pathological liars that just, they lie because it's more convenient. I'm not sure if they would even know what the truth is. If they would know the truth, there's some that just... They do, but they prefer to lie. And then you have the, I'm sorry, you, they, then you have the, uh, yeah, the pathological liars or those, and they couldn't tell the truth to save themselves. And the pathological liar believes that what they are telling in a lie is the truth. And they will lie on top of a lie on top of a lie on top of a lie to either try to convince you. And then even, even to the point that a pathological liar will have empirical evidence that can't be disputed that what they have done or what they've said is a lie and they will still try to push it out as truth. Oh, it didn't happen that way. Oh, what do you mean it didn't happen that way? We have video camera evidence that shows that you did that exactly that way. No, 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 it didn't happen that way. Let me, let me, let me explain it to you. Let me explain to you why the empirical evidence is false. But then you have, um, you have those individuals that are chronic liars and they just lie because to them they find it to be more convenient than trying to tell the truth. But then what they do is they get caught up because then they lie to cover that lie. And then they cover, tell another lie to cover that lie. And then they get round and about a circle and they can't remember who they lied to or who they told anything different. And then sometimes it'll cross them up. Here's one of the beautiful things about telling the truth and always telling the truth. And this is what Jesus was telling us. Let your yea be yea and your nay be nay. Period. There was no, nothing extra to it. He didn't, uh, he didn't embellish anything of that. It just says, let your yea be yea and your nay be nay. And then went on and, and went into another subject that was relative. Didn't have to expound on it. And when you tell the truth, you don't have to expound on the truth either. The truth is the truth and it presents its own evidence. If you are telling the truth, it's good. But when you lie, you have to put other things around it to try to build it up. You try to manufacture things to hold it up. But a lie is a lie. And unlike our earthly court, 
where if you get caught telling a lie while you swear to tell the truth, and the whole truth and nothing but the truth, they don't even say at all anymore. I'm not even sure if they use a Bible. They just have you raise your right hand and just tell the truth. But then you get on there and you purge yourself all day long. And that's actually a crime. And if they come back and they find out that you told a lie while you were under oath on the stand, that's called perjury. And you can actually go to jail for that. And it depends on the severity on what the crime was or what the outcome is and your lie over the truth. Truth is always better. It might make a situation somewhat uncomfortable. And maybe you should have thought about that before you allowed that little walk that you took in there. But truth is always better. Yay be yay and nay be nay. Period. 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 No question. Truth is always better. And this is one of the thing, one of those little bricks of the stronghold that get put around the, the heart. So here's a couple scripture. David talks about this thing, and David had this going on. And Hmm. Here's something interesting that the Spirit just took my eye to and, and think about this, and I'm going to share this with you quickly. And this is in Psalm 39. 39 and 12. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear unto my cry. Hold not thy peace at my tears, for I am a stranger with thee and a sojourner as all my fathers were. O spare me that I may recover strength before I go hence and be no more. What's David talking about there when he's writing in this poem? He's talking about his forefathers and all went through in this difficulty that is in this walk of life and that he's just a stranger, a traveler, as his fathers before were. And he just prays that he is able to have the strength in God before he comes. And there's a lot of these poems here. But two... In 42, verse 11, why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance and my God. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance and my God. I, I really try to take notice of this and, and keep this up. And I'm, I'm praying that 
I'm doing this with the Holy Spirit, is that even as David is saying there, even as disquieted as I am, because I'm in a position where I really, 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 uh, <laughs> I didn't want to be, but I mean, such as it is, but God is with me and God is caring for me and God is walking with me and, and things are going to be according to his plan, not mine. That I don't let my countenance drop. Now, when Jeremiah was working, he was uh, he was in the household of the king and, and before he went back to rebuild Jerusalem and he had a messenger came and told him what had happened there. And the king, when he came in to see the king, he had to be, you had to have a countenance. Your countenance is the expression on your face. That I guess that's the that would be the easiest explanation that you have. And and I share this with you because I go to church and I see individuals. Oh my goodness gracious! They look they look absolutely miserable. They have come so they didn't thank the Lord when they came in the driveway in their vehicle. They didn't thank the Lord as they came up. They didn't cross the patio or the parking lot in praise for the day that they even had to breathe and their worship within the house of God is dismal at best. <clears throat> but their countenance the whole time, they look just absolutely miserable. God knows in the heart that there are things that go on. And I mean that it doesn't mean that you have to do cartwheels and all that stuff there, but when you do things like that, you draw others' attention to you as, wow, are you okay? And then, of course, you have that opportunity to share your misery with everybody else. And I say that to say this, that with Jeremiah, if he went into the king and his countenance was so drawn down and there was actually an ordination that the king signed that you couldn't do that because you could be put into prison if it was bad enough that you could be killed. The king didn't want to be surrounded by ho-hums. But Jeremiah was very sad because his city had been burned and destroyed, the gates taken and been robbed and pillaged. And he came into the king and the king asked him what was wrong and he tried to pushed away and the king said you can't tell me that because your countenance is so low your countenance is lowly and he talked to Jeremiah you know what the king did didn't arrest him didn't put him in jail didn't do anything like that but his heart there was compassion why because God was with Jeremiah Jeremiah was with God Instead, the king gave him a decree that he carried with him for materials and tools and workers and all that. And they came back to Jerusalem to rebuild the gates, to rebuild parts of the temple, and to rebuild the city walls. And Jeremiah was put over all of that. And he carried letters from the king with him so that when they encountered others, they could get cedars from Lebanon, which... I don't know if I shared this with you, but they talk about the cedars of Lebanon because they were the most majestic. They were the straightest, truest wood. And they had metalsmiths, woodworkers, and wagon loads of cedars from Lebanon were provided. 
And all this because God was with Jeremiah. And even with that downcast countenance and just that, oh, woe is me thing. So further in Psalm 43, verse 5, Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, who is the health of my countenance and my God. Hush him, Lord thy God, the creator of all things, Abba Yahweh, heavenly Father, the maker of all things made. So, about those stones and all that stuff that you're allowing the minions of hell to prosper and build up those foundation bricks and those stones and build that wall around your heart. Isaiah 26, verse 3. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Trust ye in the Lord forever, for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. Remember I shared that with you, that God has these names that are all about his character. And one of the earliest words, Yahweh is the first permissive name that his people are allowed to call him out loud. He has been mentioned as he mentioned to Moses when he was directing Moses to do things. I am. Who should I say sent me? You tell them that I am sent you. That's all they need. That's all you need to know. That's all they need to know. And the name of Jehovah, the provider, the keeper, all things that he is. But in this, again, rereading verse four, trust ye in the Lord forever, for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. For he bringeth down them that dwell on high. The lofty city, he layeth it low. He layeth it low even to the ground. He bringeth it even to the dust. The foot shall tread it down, even the feet of the poor and the steps of the needy. The way of the just is uprightness. Thou most upright dost weigh the path of the just. That's saying that his uprightness, his righteousness, and if you are just in his word, then it will be right, and it will be good, and it will be whole. Similar to when I say that I don't care, it's not to be mean or nasty or to be that in that way. I say it in true uprightness and in a positive light, because I don't want to be confronted. It doesn't matter enough. When I say I don't care, it's not a matter enough that I'm going to go to battle and argue somebody over it. I just don't care that much. 
What I care about is sharing the truth, sharing the knowledge, sharing the wisdom that God has imparted to me and that he has done this so that I can bless others. That is what is most important to me. That is what I care most about. To share his truth, to share his knowledge, and to share his wisdom, period. That's just the way it is and the way it must be. So all these other things have to be willing to put aside. And it's not an easy thing to do. It's not easy to do. Nobody said it was. There's nowhere in the scripture where God says, I promise you a rose garden. Nowhere it says that. Sorry, that was from an old song years ago. But he didn't promise us a rose garden. What he did in fact say is tomorrow is not promised, which means that tomorrow may not come for some. But he promises that he is with us always in everything and everything that we go through and everything that we will go through, he will be with us and never forsake us. He does promise that. And his decisions are his decisions. Why do so many bother about what God's going to do? Instead of the ponderance being of how majestic he is and how wonderful he is and how powerful he is, and he is truly a mystery, instead of that ponderance, they, why would he do that? Why would he? And then they turn around and they try to justify. their end to the means and then they try to judge and they try to usurp the Lord in judgment and take his seat because they didn't want to forgive. These are, these are all those foundational stones that the minions come in and try to get us to build and put up. But remember this, that God is strong and that he can in his strength we are weak, but he is strong, and in his strength, he can pull those strongholds down. And we need to practice that and not to worry about these things that are going on about us not to be caught up in all the turmoil and the hubbub, because that doesn't do us any bit of any good. We're told in the Bible not to be, not to care for anything. Now, of course, that's um, what that translates to in an, in another form. This is some old English thing, but it's um, it's not to be anxious. You don't care for something so much, and it gets you all twisted, all turned up, and that you stumble and trip and you don't pay attention to things. You walk into people, you walk into walls, you walk into signposts because you're not paying attention because you're so caught up with your anxiousness on what's going on. So, this is very important. This is in Second Corinthians chapter 10. And I'm going to I think I'm just going to start at verse 1. I'm not going to skip anything. It's contextual. Now, I, Paul, myself, beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. 
who in presence am base among you, but being absent am bold toward you. That sounds kind of puzzling. But when he's there, he's just, he, what he's telling you is that he's, he's just like everyone else. He wants to be single-minded and he making sure that he wants everybody. But as he's absence, he's a little bit, maybe a little bolder in his speech to them and when he writes letters. Further in verse two, but I beseech you that I may not be bold when I am present with that confidence wherewith I think to be bold against some which think of us as we walked according to the flesh. And what's he talking about? He's talking about not looking down your nose and being judgmental to others when you're with and around them. Which think of us as we walked according in the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to us pulling down the strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing in captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. And I understand, I underline those, that's why I'm emphasizing that part, because this is the thought process that goes on with many. The thought process, what goes on in your mind, and this is the attack point that Satan will use because the mind is a weak link. And if he can get in and get us focused on that white noise interference, then we start putting the foundation bricks in place. We start comparing ourselves to others. We start judging others. We refuse to forgive others. And then that puts us in the judgment seat. Then we have now just usurped our heavenly father. Oh, I'm not going to forgive him. Oh my goodness. No, I'm not going to forgive my neighbor. Goodness gracious. That's just terrible. I, I can't do it. Well, yes, you can. Because the Bible tells you to forgive as he forgave. He went to the cross because of forgiveness. And now you consider yourself to be better, that you don't have to forgive, and now you're going to build resentment and anxiousness and agitation, and then you're going to put a really big slab of that mortar brick down and build up a nice foundational wall? Oh, come on. Come on, brothers and sisters. Bringing into captivity everything thought to the obedience of Christ. Further in verse six, and having in readiness to revenge all disobedience with your obedience is fulfilled. Do ye look on things after the outward appearance? If any man trust himself that he is Christ, let him of himself think this again, that as he is Christ, even so are we Christ. For though I should boast somewhat more of our authority, which the Lord hath given us for edification and not for your destruction, I should not be ashamed. That means to share the truth, the knowledge, and the wisdom of the Lord. And that we do that thing that is right and righteous. 
further reading in verse 12. No, I'm just going to continue straight down. Verse 9, that A might not seem as if I would terrify you by letters. Paul's not going to whip out these letters from any kind of place of education or those that that wrote in a... um, as a testimony on his behalf. And that there are some that will take those out because the, you know, oh, this gives me authority. This is probably, look what I got. Well. And like when you have individuals that applaud their diploma and try to wave that in your face. For, and I'm going to jump down now to verse 12. For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. So see what that foundational stone of comparing and belittling, degrading others. See what that does? Paul's telling us right there. It's not good for anything. And all that does is put another brick in the wall. Oh, that's another song. Um, But that wall that's built around our hearts, we are responsible for allowing that white noise interference that Satan loves to get poor in our ears, allowing that to come in so that we compare ourselves. We justify ourselves in what we do and being so busy into our busyness. But brothers and sisters, the dwelling place should be inviting. When you come into a really nice, uh, you've been on vacation or someplace, you can come into a really nice bed and breakfast or a really nice inn, and it's really well taken care of. You feel comforted. You're like, wow, this is nice. Well, shouldn't the spirit feel that way in your heart instead of coming down and finding all these crooked bricks and all this slop? Just saying. Brothers and sisters, you are in my prayers on my going out and coming in and that the preparation of residence for the spirit and that thing which we should shine out needs to be cleaned up, pulled down those stones, pulled down that wall. But we can't do it in ourselves because we are weak, but the strength of the Lord and the joy of the Lord is my strength. You're my prayers, my going out, my coming in every day. 